Hi, and welcome to the Book of Rulebooks. My name is Mathieu Labrosse, and today I'll read to you Too Many Bones, a game designed by Josh Carlson and Adam Carlson, and published by Chip Theory Games. In Too Many Bones, you're playing as an unusual race of adventurers headed into a land overrun by all sorts of hostile creatures. Your race has lived hidden in the deep wood for centuries, and only recently, your kin have been forced to emerge to the south and take shelter within the walls of Obendar. Due to your reclusive lifestyle, many in town are encountering your race for the very first time. Some locals believe you to be an elf due to your distinct facial features. Others would say a goblin from your size and build. Others still would insist your high technological aptitudes proves you a gnome. Only those most intimate with the Deepwood know your true kind and kin as gearlocks. Big-eared, thin-bodied creatures with conflicting loves of nature and machine and an insatiable thirst for adventure. The elder gearlocks know all too well that this growing danger to the north is the work of the Ebon a melting pot of lawless creatures, ruled by tyrants who hold a firm grasp on all the northern regions of Daelor. Because each of these regions has little to no communication with the next, the elders believe that a smaller party will be most effective at infiltrating and eliminating the threat. They have selected your party of adventurers and tasked them with venturing northward to silence the Ebon one tyrant at a time. This was never to be your task alone. Others were sequestered. But the Obendar militia is thin in ranks, and any sellsword word hiring have already been swayed by the promise of plundering rights if they aid the enemy. But no matter, for you are Gearlocks, and being the resourceful and fearless race that you are, your party has happily accepted this challenge. You will be among the first to travel north in many decades, and your adventure begins today. Game Objective Your task is easy, according to the Gearlock Council. Reach and defeat the selected tyrant within its day allotment to win. Game Setup Let's start by setting up for your adventure. Place the battle mat in the center of your play area. For the tyrant and day counter, select a tyrant or draw one at random. You may look at both sides and familiarize yourself with its skills and tyrant die effects. Games can range from 1 to 4 hours, depending on how many days are provided to reach the tyrant and the number of gear locks in the party. Place the tyrant's card, chip, and die to the left of the battle mat. Place the day counter card and chip set to 1 directly below your tyrant card. For the encounters, find any tyrant encounters associated with the chosen tyrant, which would be 1 to 3 blue cards labeled with the tyrant name at the bottom of the card. Then set those cards aside. Place other tyrant cards back in the game box. Shuffle the general encounter deck, which are the green cards labeled general at the bottom, 
or the Solo Encounter deck, which are also green and labeled Solo at the bottom, if you're only playing with one gear lock. Drawing counter cards equal to the number of days shown on the Tyrant card, minus three cards. Shuffle these together with the Tyrant Encounter cards you set aside to form an encounter deck, then place that deck to the left of the battle map. Place unused general and solo encounter cards back in the game box. In the rare instance you run out of encounters, you may replenish your encounter deck from the game box. Finally, find the special encounters 1 to 3, each labeled 1, 2, and 3, and place them in order on top of your newly created encounter deck. Place other special encounters back in the game box. Keep these accessible as you may need them later on. Add the cover card on top of the encounter deck if you'd like to make encounters even more of a surprise. For the loot and trove loot, shuffle all these cards separately and place both decks with the chest side up to the right of the battle mat. Take the four lock picking dice and place them nearby. Now for the baddies, using the baddie type icons, which are troll, orc, scales, goblin, bog, and beast that are shown on the tyrant card, you should find all baddies of these types. Flip them face down, shuffle, and create separate 1 point, 5 point, and 20 point baddie active stacks. Place these stacks above the battle mat. Place other baddie chips in your game box. On occasion, you may need to access these baddies for a specific encounter. If you ever run out of baddies in an active stack, reshuffle defeated point baddies to replenish that active stack. Now for the gear locks, each player chooses a gear lock and places their selected gear lock mat, gear lock chip, with a number of starting hell chips underneath it, its initiative die, as well as the stat dice. Adjust mat placement to your liking based on party size. Place Gearlock Reference Sheet nearby. Then, find your Gearlock's 16 skill dice and place them in a storage tray near your Gearlock mat. Feel free to use tray covers for storing attack and defense dice near each Gearlock as well. Using your Gearlock Reference Sheet, which is the front right column, look for any skills with a circle next to their name. Your Gearlock starts the game with these skills. Find the skills names on your Gearlock mat and then place the skill dice with corresponding numbers into those slots on your mat. Collectively choose a party leader who is responsible for making tie-breaking decisions. Finally, for the other components, below the battle mat, make pools of attack dice, defense dice, and effect dice. Set the D6 in this area as well. Place the four lane marker chips above the battle mat. Do the same for the four baddie initiative dice and hell chip stacks. Lastly, place the round counter die at the top of the initiative meter on the battle mat, set to R1. Make sure the Gearlock Adventuring Reference Guide is close by. You're ready for your adventure.
Gameplay Overview While the main objective of Too Many Bones is to take down the selected tyrant, you must first earn enough progress points to do so. It's also imperative that you strengthen your gear locks, honing their stats and skills with training points in preparation for that final battle. Both progress points and training points can be earned through daily encounters. These situations will provide your party with choices that can result in peaceful outcomes or battles. Let's start by discussing how and when all of this happens. Game Phases Each day of your adventure will take you through four game phases. Once completed, a new day begins and you will repeat these phases. The first phase is a new day. Rotate the day counter one day. The second phase is the encounter phase. Draw an encounter and read it to the party. If your party has earned enough progress points, you may instead challenge the tyrant. Next, pick a choice and attempt to successfully complete it. If successful, you will go to the reward phase. If unsuccessful, you will skip the reward phase and go directly to the recovery phase. In the reward phase, gain all rewards specific to your choice. Also, gain any general encounter rewards. If rewards include loot or trove loot, draw them now. If rewards include training points, use them now. If the rewards include progress points, place the encounter card under the tyrant card. And the fourth and final phase is the recovery phase. In this phase, trade loot and trove loot within your party. Any loot, any amount, to anyone, or leave it behind. You could discard whatever you like. In this phase, you may also make a lockpicking attempt. This can be on your trove loot or someone else's. Finally, you get to your individual options, which there are three of. Each gearlock may choose one of them. The first option is to rest and recover, in which case you heal to full HP. The second phase is to search for a better loot. To do this, discard one loot or trove loot. Then, roll six attack dice. For each bones you roll, reveal a loot card, and you may keep one. If no bones are rolled, this card still happens. The third individual option is to scout the area. To do this, roll a d6. On a 1 to 3, reveal a 1 point baddie. On a 4 to 5, reveal a 5 point baddie. And on a 6, reveal up to a 20 point baddie. Reveal the first face down chip on the stack. Once revealed, you may leave that baddie face up in the same position in the stack or cycle it to the bottom of the stack, returning it face down. There is no limit to the number of baddies you can reveal per stack. When all of these four phases are completed, it completes your day. Start over at a new day phase. The Encounters Encounters are daily situations your party must overcome as it makes its way towards the tyrant. Each day, your party will start by drawing an encounter card and reading it aloud. 
The front of the card presents a situation your party encounters. The back lists your choices and the effect those choices will have on the encounter. You may read the entire card and discuss before deciding. Your party must choose one of the options offered. These choices will result in a peaceful outcome or a battle. Either way, you must successfully complete the encounter to earn its rewards, usually progress points, loot, and or training points. Certain choices may have rewards listed after that choice. General rewards given for successful completion of either choice are listed at the bottom of the card, which is at the left or right corners. A peaceful encounter choice is automatically successful, unless otherwise noted. A battle encounter choice is successful if at least one gear lock remains on the battle mat after all baddies are defeated. Once an encounter is successful, the party moves into the reward phase. If an encounter is unsuccessful, your party does not gain any reward. Discard the encounter and move into the recovery phase. Encounter types. There are three types of encounters in Too Many Bones. Special encounters are added to the encounter deck only when instructed in setup or by another encounter. Then, the tyrant encounters are added to the encounter deck based on which tyrant you're facing. Finally, you have your regular encounters, which come in two sets, general and solo encounters, indicated on the front at the bottom of each card. Use solo when adventuring with one gear lock only, and use general for two or more gear locks. The rewards. Upon successfully completing an encounter, check the card in three places for any rewards your party has earned. First, check to the right of your choice text for any reward specific to your choice. Next, look in the bottom left corner for the progress points and right corner for the training points, loot and trove loot for any general encounter rewards. Collect these rewards now. Then, move to your recovery phase. The recovery phase. During your recovery phase, you may trade by either giving or receiving loot and trove loot. You may make a lockpicking attempt and choose one individual option, which was described earlier. Once your recovery phase is complete, your day ends and you start over at the new day phase. Before we get into these phases further, it's imperative that you have a solid understanding of your gear lock and how your gear lock mat interacts with everything else. Please select a gear lock mat and place it in front of you for easy reference during the next section. Also, find your corresponding gear lock reference sheet and keep it close, as we will be referencing it as well. The gear lock mat. Your gear lock mat represents everything that makes your gear lock unique and effective in battle. It can be built differently every adventure. The first area of your gear lock mat is the stat area. Each gear lock has four stats, 
Health, Dexterity, Attack, and Defense. Each has a starting stat, which is a printed number on the map, which can be increased by placing a stat die in the corresponding stat die slot during the game. The starting stat plus the value of the stat die equals the current max stat of your gear lock. You increase these stats by using training points from completed encounters. A training point gives you one training attempt for any stat or skill. If a training attempt is successful, place a die or increase it by one in the slot next to the starting stat to reflect the new modified number. The stat dice from training remain throughout the adventure. Let's go over each stat in more details. The first stat is your health, or HP. Your HP is the number of health chips your gearlock currently has stacked under its gearlock chip. HP cannot exceed its max stat. Any excess healing is lost. You also have buff HP, which is a separate from your HP and therefore handle differently. The buff HP will be explained a little later. Losing your last HP means you are knocked out. The specifics of being knocked out will also be explained a little later. An HP training attempt will always succeed. After training in HP, add 1 HP to your gear lock in addition to increasing the HP stat die. The next stat is Dexterity, or Dex. Your Dex is the max number of dice you may roll each turn by any combination of attack, defense, and skill dice. Dex can also be spent to move your gear lock on the mat. It costs one Dexterity per available position that you want to move onto. Each deck spent this way subtract from the decks available to roll dice this turn. A deck's training attempt will always succeed. Now let's go over the attack stat. An attack is the act of rolling attack dice to damage the target. Rolling skills is not considered to be an attack even if the skills deal damage. Your attack stat is the number of attack dice you have available to roll each turn. They're not exhausted when used. Each attack die costs one dexterity to roll in battle. A target for your attack must be declared prior to rolling. You may only have one target per turn. Each rolled attack die gives you a number of damage that may be applied to the target. If any damage is done to your target through the use of attack dice, it is considered a hit. Each rolled bones may be used in your backup plan. It does not reduce the number of attack dice available to you in future turns. An attack training attempt requires you to roll your current attack stat, which is your starting stat plus your stat die. If no bones are rolled, you are successful. If unsuccessful, there is no attack stat increase, but you may spend this point elsewhere. And now for the fourth stat, we have the defense, or def. Your def stat is the number of defense dice you have available to roll each turn. They are not exhausted when used. 
Each death die costs one dexterity to roll in battle. Each successful defense die rolled may be applied to an active slot. You must use the actual rolls, or in other words, you cannot combine results from two dice into one. The total number of defense in your active slots is the number of damage you can prevent. When preventing damage, decrease your active defense from your active slot by this amount. For example, if Boomer, one of the Gearlock, has a defense 2 die and a defense 1 die in her active slot, and a baddie deals 1 damage to her, she can either remove the def 1 die or reduce the def 2 die to 1. Def die must be used for all incoming damage first before removing HP, except true damage, which is applied directly to HP. The total def dice currently in the active slots will reduce the available def dice for rolling this turn. For example, if Boomer currently has a def stat of 2 and she has 1 currently in her active slot, then she would only have one death die available to roll this turn. Each bones rolled may be used in your backup plan. Those bones do not reduce the number of death dice available to you in future turns. A defense training attempt requires you to roll your current death stat, which would be your starting stat plus any stat die. Any bones rolled are rolled once more. If no bones are rolled after the second roll, or even the first, then you are successful. If unsuccessful, there is no death stat increase, but you may spend this training point elsewhere. Innate and Innate plus one. Each Gearlock starts with a unique talent, which is called Innate, and can use it throughout the adventure. Use your Gearlock reference sheet to learn more about what it can do. Your Gearlock's innate can be upgraded by using 6 bones on your backup plan. Once upgraded, this also lasts the entire adventure, and its effects are explained on your Gearlock reference sheet. Play with the non-star side of your Gearlock chip face-up until you upgrade to innate plus 1, and then flip it. Attack form, which are ranged, melee, and melee ranged. This determines how your gearlock can target an attack. Melee gearlocks can only target adjacent units. Ranged gearlocks can target any unit. Melee ranged gearlocks have their own instructions for targeting and attacking. See their gearlock reference sheet for more details. Your form also determines your Gearlock's battle mat starting position options in battle, which will be discussed a little later. Unlike skill dice, def and attack dice are never exhausted and are available to you every turn, unless, of course, you meet a golem or maybe a bog worm. In that case, I've got this. Just stay behind me. My point is, attack and def stats are important. Roll these dice and use them often. The second part of your gearlock mat is the exhausted dice area, 
which is actually to the left of your gearlock mat. When skill dice are used, they must be exhausted, unless otherwise noted. Exhausted dice are stored to the left of the gearlock mat for the remainder of the current battle and are no longer available to you. All exhausted dice are unexhausted after battle. Baddie skills may force you to exhaust attack or defense dice. Each die exhausted in this way reduces your attack or defense stat by 1 for the battle. These baddie skills, for example, could be break or corrosive. The next part of your gearlock mat is the preparation area. The picture of your gearlock also serves as a staging area for certain components throughout the game. This is where your gearlock chip with its current HP sits when not in battle. If your gearlock receives buff HP, it is placed here. Some gearlocks even use this area for staging certain skills before they are used in battle. The next part of your gearlock mat is the skills area, which is home to your skill dice. Begin your adventure with all skill dice in your storage tray, which is out of play, except for any skills your gearlock starts with. These have circled bullets on your gearlock reference sheet. Skills are learned through training points. When you train or unlock a skill, locate the numbered die in your storage tray that matches the skill you're training and place it on your mat in its current slot. The side showing on skill dice in your current skills area doesn't matter. Counters are often the exception to this. Skills are usable only once per battle, unless otherwise noted. Rolling these dice, however, does not mean you must use them. You can choose not to use them if an undesired face is rolled. There are some exceptions, like Boomer's grenades. Exhaust any skill die after use. Once trained or unlocked, skill dice are usable throughout the adventure. Applying skill dice that deal damage to baddies is not considered attacking them. Each skill die side has an icon that can be matched to your gearlock's reference sheet to find out how this icon functions. It also shows where this die may be placed once it's rolled, so either in your active slot or locked slot. A skill training attempt will always succeed. How skill dice function can vary greatly. Some are immediately resolved while others are placed in your active slot, waiting to be triggered. A few skills even go into your locked slots, where they may remain for the entire adventure, or until you choose to use them. To learn more about how each gearlock skills work, read about them on the gearlock reference sheets. Professions a profession is related to the set of skills unique to your gearlock. Professions are listed in the top right corner of the stat area, and their corresponding skills are linked by colored lines in the skills area. Starred skills, visible next to certain slots in your skills area, are always available for training. Some skills will have arrows pointing to them and do not have stars. 
These skills must be learned in order, starting with a start skill and following the arrows. If two arrows point to a skill, only one is needed to unlock it. You do not need to unlock all skills in the profession before starting another profession. Consumables Consumable dice are special skills that cannot be gained using training points and are instead acquired through loot or certain backup plans. Some gear locks even start with certain consumable counter dice under mats. When you acquire a consumable die, take it from your storage tray and place it in your skills area, unless otherwise instructed. Once a consumable is used, it is placed back in your storage tray and must be reacquired to be used again. Consumables that act as counters are the exception to this rule and remain in your skills area throughout your adventure. If a consumable is to be exhausted or removed from an active or locked slot, place it back in your storage tray. The next area of your gear lock mat is your backup plan, where you'll find your backup plan skills. Only one backup plan skill may be used per turn. The cost of using a backup plan skill varies from 1 to 6 bones as shown on Gearlock Mat and Reference Sheet. Remove a number of bones to use a backup plan skills that cost a certain number. Bones from attack and defense dice are simply removed, but skill dice used this way must be exhausted. The bones in your backup plan are managed a certain way. Any bones rolled by your gear lock during battle may be placed in your backup plan. This includes bones rolled outside of your turn, unless otherwise noted. Up to 5 total bones may be stored within the backup plan from turn to turn. Line up your bones from left to right in the order they are earned. Use the bones from left to right. Shift unused bones all the way to the left. Bones will remain in your backup plan until used. They must be removed at the end of the battle or if you're KO'd. Certain dice will have multiple bones on a certain face. These take up multiple slots on your backup plan. Skip slots to show this. If the backup plan skill uses up only part of a multi-bones die, the entire die is used and any unspent bones are lost. Upgrading to innate plus one. It takes the use of six bones to upgrade to a gearlock's innate plus one. Treat the sixth bone as if it was slotted into your backup plan after you roll the dice. Flip over your gearlock chip to the star's side for the rest of the adventure to indicate this upgrade. Bones are misses, of sort. You will find that the vast majority of the dice that you roll may have one or more sides with the bones icon. Oftentimes, these are undesired results of the dice you rolled. However, they play a pivotal role in your decision-making process. You will always have the option of putting bones into your backup plan. 
The next area of your gear lock mat is the active slots, where you'll place your defense dice and any skill that goes into the active slots. Ally active skill dice effects are also placed in this area by other party members. Specific active and ally active skill dice effects are explained on the gear lock reference sheets. Active dice remain here until used and must be removed at the end of battle or if a gear lock is KO'd. Skill dice in these slots must be exhausted when used, unless otherwise stated. The area next to the active slots is the locked slots. Place your rolled locked skill dice effects here. Locked dice remain here from battle to battle until used. These dice must be removed if gear lock is KO'd, unless playing in adventure mode, which will be explained a little later. Skill dice in these slots must be exhausted when used, unless otherwise stated. Note. To free up space, a player may remove dice from active or locked slots at any time during their turn, or at the end of battle. Certain skills may also cause you to remove dice from these slots. Skill dice are always exhausted when removed, while defense dice are simply returned to the supply. The last area of your gear lock mat is the loot area. When a gear lock gains loot or trove loot, they can store it to the right of their gear lock mat. Each gear lock can hold up to 4 loot or trove loot. When out of spots, choose 4 spots worth of loot and discard remaining cards. Locked trove loot always only takes up 1 spot. Loot or trove loot is fully explained a little later. Now that you have a grasp on the intricacies of your gear lock, we can introduce you to the opposition. Baddies, and eventually the tyrant, are what you will be battling all the way to the end of your adventure. For this next section, find a 1 point, 5 point, and 20 point baddie and grab a tyrant chip while you're at it. Keep these close for reference and comparison. Also, find your Gearlock Adventuring Reference Guide and flip it to the back where the body skills are listed. You're all set. Let's dig in. Baddie Chip Baddies represent the opposition you will face during your adventure. Each baddie comes with its own chip and stats. Let's look into more details into each of these stats. The first stat you will find on a baddie chip is its HP. This is the max number of health chips a baddie can have. Place that many HP beneath a baddie when it enters the battle mat. The second stat you will find on a baddie chip is its initiative, or any for short. This determines the baddie's starting spot on the any meter. A baddie any die is used to indicate this. The next element on the baddie chip is the attack form, which can be either melee or ranged. Melee baddies can only target adjacent, not diagonal, 
opposing units. If none exist, they cannot attack or roll skills requiring a target this turn. Ranged baddies can target any opposing units, regardless of map position. Then, you'll find the creature type. There are six of these in the base game, which are trolls, orcs, scales, goblins, bogs, and beasts. The next stat you'll find on a baddie chip is its defense. This is the number of defense dice this baddie rolls on its turn, minus any already active defense dice. Roll defense is applied to the top of a baddie chip, making the die active. A baddie does not need a target in range to roll its defense dice. After defense, you'll find the attack stat. This represents the number of attack dice this baddie rolls against its target on its turn. Total attack rolled is the number of damage dealt to the target. If a baddie has multiple targets, these dice are rolled separately for each. On a baddie chip, you'll also find certain skills. These skills in black are always in effect. Refer to the Gearlock Adventuring Reference Guide for a list of baddie skills and how they work. If baddie has multiple targets, targeting skills will trigger against each. Next to the baddie skills, you might also find a baddie backup plan skills. Backup plan skills, which are in blue with bones icon, trigger if a baddie rolls at least a number of bones shown on the baddie chip from all its attack and defense dies rolled combined this turn. Rolled bones do not carry over to the next turn. If a triggered backup plan skill requires a target and a baddie has multiple targets, party may choose. Backup plan skills can only be triggered once per turn and are listed on the Gearlock Adventuring Reference Guide. Backup plan skills trigger after resolving defense and attack, even if the skill text indicates different timing. The next indication you'll find on a baddie chip is the target. Melee baddies always pursue the closest opposing unit, which is the route with fewest positions. If there's a tie, it will then use its target to determine which unit it targets and pursues. A baddie target is either the weakest, so the one with the lowest HP, or the strongest, which is the one with the highest HP. Party chooses on ties of strength. Ranged baddies only target using their target stat. Some baddies will target multiple units, shown by a number of figures within the target icon, but they will not attack the same target more than once per turn. When you have multiple targets, you should roll attack dice for each target separately. The next stat you might find on certain baddies is the extra baddie icon, which is depicted by an icon with either one or two skulls. A baddie with one or two skulls adds one or two five-point baddies to the top of the battle queue immediately when it enters the battle map. The next icon you might find on a baddie chip is the diagonal movement. 
Only baddies with diagonal movement can move diagonally. And finally, each baddie is depicted either by being a tyrant, a 1-point, a 5-point, or a 20-point baddie. They are identified by their image or a number of points on the back of their baddie chip. The Tyrants Reaching and defeating the tyrant is your main objective in Too Many Bones. The tyrant is depicted by a tyrant card and a tyrant chip. A tyrant card's front gives information about that tyrant and shows the creature type you are to use for this adventure. It also lists the progress points needed in order to challenge the tyrant. While you're not required to challenge the tyrant the day after earning the required number of progress points, you must defeat the tyrant before the maximum number of days for the adventure is exceeded in order to win. As for the tyrant chip, each tyrant has a chip that is used as a baddie chip in the final battle. On the baddie chip, you will find an icon depicting the tyrant die. Each tyrant with a tyrant die icon on its chip has a unique tyrant die that is rolled once per tyrant turn. Roll this along with its attack and defense dice. Each tyrant has tyrant encounter cards specific to them. Tyrant encounter cards for the tyrant you are pursuing are shuffled into your encounter deck before your adventure begins. Congratulations, you're now ready for the battle sections. With your new understanding of the baddies and their stats, we can now introduce you to where these battles will be taking place. For these next sections, find your battle mat and stack a few baddies next to it. Then, add the round counter die to the any meter area. Also, have your gear lock, so your chip and die, nearby as these are used for the battle mat as well. While this section is being discussed, feel free to use your components to mimic what is being described. The battle mat, a place of risky moves and ruthless combat. This is where all the action happens and a place you will want to get very familiar with. So, let's go into each area of the battle mat into more details. The first area of the battle mat is the initiative meter, or any meter for short. In battle, a single turn from each unit completes one full round. The any meter tracks the current round and whose turn it is. It also gives you a visual forecast of who will be taking their turn next and in what order. Any is built downward on the meter from highest, going first, to the lowest, going last. The round counter die goes on the top of the any meter, starting with R1, which means round 1. Increase this die to R2, R3, etc. at the start of each new battle round. After R5, you'll find the fatigue icon, which depicts the fatigue rounds, which occurs until the battle is completed. At the start of each fatigue round, all units on the battle mat lose 1 HP. This is not counted as any specific type of damage 
and cannot be blocked or defended against in any way. The any dice placement, which is a setup for the round one of battle. Baddies have their any indicated on their baddie chip. A baddie any die is used to represent the number on the any meter. For example, if a baddie with three initiative is in lane one, use the lane one any die and set it to three on the any meter. Place the any die of each baddie in the any meter, from highest on top, then in descending order. Any tie between a baddie any is then decided by their lane priority. Lane 1 baddie would go above or before a lane 2 baddie. Each player rolls their unique gearlock any die to determine their spot on the any meter. For any any tie that involves a gearlock, the party chooses who goes first. The any dice during battle, so round 2 and beyond. After initial any placement is set for all units, the any number on the baddie chips and any die no longer matters. During battle, certain skills can modify the any meter, but always in relation to other units' current any meter spots. For example, Tantrum can drop a baddie 3 spots on the any meter. Units that enter the battle after round 1 will always enter at the top or bottom spot of the any meter. All gearlocks, tyrants, and 20-point baddies enter the battle mat at the top spot of the any meter. Again, the specific initiative number is disregarded after round 1. All 1-point and 5-point baddies enter the battle mat at the bottom spot of the any meter. Follow round 1 rules for any ties. Units with their any spots modified during the round will take their new spots only after end of round. Feel free to shift their initiative dice to the side as a reminder. The next area of the battle mat is the baddies starting positions. Use the colored positions for baddies. Melee baddies start on the melee starting positions, and ranged baddies start on the ranged starting positions. The first baddie to enter the battle mat goes in lane 1, the second baddie in lane 2, and etc. As baddies move, they may change lanes, therefore place a lane marker chip, matching its starting lane color, under each baddie when it enters battle. After the baddie starting positions, you'll find gear lock starting positions. Use the grey positions for gear locks. Melee gear locks start on the melee positions, and ranged gear locks start on ranged positions. Melee ranged gear locks may start on either. Gear locks may start on any lane and may even double up on a single lane. Adjacent movement. When moving, units can only move to orthogonally adjacent positions. Baddies with the diagonal icon can move diagonally. As a rule, units may not occupy the same position or pass through other units. The battle setup. Most of the encounters in Too Many Bones will result in a battle of some sort. Sometimes, 
the baddies you face are specifically defined on your encounter card. But, more often, the encounter will include a battle queue, which would be equal to the battle points for certain encounters and to other numbers for other encounters. This is all as part of the battle setup. The battle queue, or BQ for short. Every battle must start with the creation of a BQ that contains the baddies you'll be facing for the fight. To build a BQ, you must refer to your encounter card and then assemble a stack of baddie chips using your active stacks. Except for scouted baddies, which are face up, the BQ should always be assembled face down so the baddies are unknown before the battle begins. Also, when creating the BQ, greater point baddies should always be placed higher on the stack than lesser point baddies. If the BQ calls for a specific baddie or type, search your baddie active stacks first, then defeated stacks, and then out of play baddies. Baddie points. BQ equals baddie points is a short way of saying you need to create your initial battle queue by calculating your baddie points. In the first step to calculate the baddie points, calculate your current day multiplied by the number of gear locks in your party. For example, if you're on day 4 and you have 3 gear locks in your party, you would have 12 baddie points. For the second step of baddie points, draw baddies equal to baddie points using the highest point baddies when possible. For example, for 12 baddie points, you would need two 5-point baddies and two 1-point baddies. For 27 baddie points, you would need one 20-point baddie, one 5-point baddie, and two 1-point baddies. For the third step of the baddie points, you would need to stack all these chips up. For example, if we come back to our 12-point baddie situation, you'd place the two one-point baddie at the bottom and the two five-point baddies on top. So the order would go five, five, one, and one. Easy, don't forget to factor in any other encounter requirements or skill modifications that could affect this number. Sometimes this can affect your baddie points total before you draw your baddies. In other words, going from 18 to 20 points has a huge effect on which baddies will be fought. Other times, baddies are added to your BQ after it's been created. All of this is determined and explained on your encounter card, so read it carefully. Unless otherwise stated, baddies added to the BQ are added in their appropriate position in the stack. So for example, an added 20-point baddie goes on top, and an added 1-point baddie goes to the bottom. The battle setup sequence. Now that you understand the BQ basics, let's go through the battle setup from start to finish. First, trigger before battle effects and skills such as tantrums innate, which is called rage. Second, use encounter card instructions to build your BQ. Third, place the top baddie from your BQ in its appropriate lane and battle map position. Also, place its HP, lane marker, 
and any die in their appropriate places. Continue placing baddies until there are four on the mat or when the BQ is empty. Fourth, roll the party's any dice. Add them to the any meter. The fifth step, place party members onto the battle mat in their appropriate positions with their existing HP. Sixth, make sure your round counter die is set at round one. And finally, step seven, trigger any start of battle effects and skills such as Picket's Innate, which is called Shield Wall. You are ready to battle. Each unit will now take its turn, starting with the top any spot. The BQ in battle. During battle, you may still have baddies in your BQ, due to having more than four baddies to start or from skills like Signal, which calls more baddies to the BQ. These baddies will not join the battle until there are fewer than four baddies on the battle mat. If that is the case, after end of round, the baddies from the top of the BQ will join and assume the first available lane markers and any dice. Place the baddie in the lane that matches its lane marker and on the position matching its attack form. If that position is occupied, the baddie will instead take the first available baddie position that matches its attack form, starting with lane 1 and working up. Then, it will try lanes of the other attack form, again starting with lane 1. Let's now go over the gearlock turn during a battle. Gearlock movement and targeting. Melee gearlocks may use a number of decks to move a number of adjacent positions and target one adjacent baddie each turn. Ranged gearlocks may use a number of decks to move a number of adjacent positions as well, but they may target one baddie anywhere on the battle mat each turn. No line of sight is needed. Melee ranged gearlocks may use a number of decks to move a number of adjacent positions as well, and they may target one adjacent baddie each turn. Use the gearlock reference sheets to learn how some of these hybrid gearlocks may target non-adjacent baddies on the battle mat. Some gearlock skills may allow for selecting non-target baddies, battle mat positions, or even multiple baddies. Here's the gearlock turn sequence. But first, let's talk a little about loot. Unless otherwise specified, use loot anytime during your turn, even before triggering effects. The first step of a gearlock's turn is the start of turn. Be sure to trigger any effect dice on top of your gearlock. The second step is to move your gearlock. You may use a number of decks to move a number of adjacent and not diagonal available positions. For the third step, determine your target. Select a target for your attack dice, skill dice, and or backup plan as needed. For the fourth step, select and roll your dice. Your remaining decks represents how many dice you may roll. The dice you may choose from are determined by your current attack stat, defense stat, and available skill dice. For example, 
if attack stat is 2 and your defense stat is 1 and there are 3 available or rollable skills, 6 dice can be chosen from to roll. If your dex is 3 and no movement has been made this turn, only 3 of those 6 dice are available options. All selected dice must be rolled simultaneously. For the fifth step, resolve the roll, which will be explained a little later in more details. For the six steps, baddies react. Sometimes, baddies have skills that trigger after they are attacked. And finally, step seven, your end of turn. Let's go into more details into step five of the Gearlock's turn, which is to resolve your roll. After your dice are rolled, feel free to do any of the following in no particular order. Resolve target damage and effects. You would apply the number of damage and any other damage results or effects from your skills to your target. The other option is to resolve non-target damage and effects. Some skills may apply to non-target units. Others may be instant skills that do not apply to other units at all. Go ahead and use these skills as desired. The other option would be to allocate active, locked, and backup plan dice. Place any roll defense you want to use into open active slots. You may also place any applicable skills into your active and locked slots. Some skills even allow you to place your dice into other gear locks active slots. Also, you may place your bones into your backup plan slots as desired. The final option you can do during the step of resolving your role is to use your backup plan. You may use your backup plan only once per turn. Remove a number of bones to use backup plan skills that cost that number. Note, as a gear lock, you do not need to use the result of any dice you roll unless the profession or rolled icon rules state otherwise. For instance, if you roll attack dice successfully and then realize you're attacking a dire wolf with lashback and don't want to hit it yet, you do not need to use your result. Or if you roll a med pack with patches and the result is 1 HP heal instead of 3 HP, you can choose not to heal and place that skill die back in its slot in your skills area. However, your dex would still be counted for that roll. Let's now go over a baddie turn during battle. The baddie skills. All baddie skills are unique and trigger at very specific times throughout the battle depending on the skill. Be sure to review all skills of baddies as they enter the battle mat so you know when they apply. For baddie skills that require a target, that target must be within attack range in order to apply that skill. For example, poison, corrosive, or others. Baddie movement and targeting. Ranged baddies do not move and can target any opposing units on the battle mat. Melee baddies may move up to two adjacent available positions per turn. They will always target and move toward the closest opposing unit. 
they take the route with the fewest available positions. If there's a tie for which gearlock is closest, use its target stat, which was discussed a little earlier, to determine which unit it pursues. If still a tie, party chooses the target. A melee baddie will always take the shortest possible route toward an available position adjacent to its target. If there are multiple possible shortest routes, party chooses which it will take. If there are no routes to any targets, the baddie will not move. A baddie does not move if it is already adjacent to an opposing unit. Let's go over the baddie's turn sequence into more details. The first step is the start of turn, where any effects are triggered. Also, resolve any applicable effect dice sitting on the baddie chip, for example, bleed, poison, disable, etc. The second step is to determine the targets, as explained earlier. The third step is the move. Move the baddie if melee and not adjacent to an opposing unit. The fourth step is the skills. Any skill for this baddie that does not list a specific time it happens should be resolved now, if possible. For the fifth step, roll the dice. Roll all of baddie's inactive defense dice and also roll its attack dice, only if target is within the attack range. If the baddie can target multiple units and they are in attack range, roll its attack dice for each. For the sixth step, resolve the roll. In order, place rolled defense on the baddie, apply total rolled attack to the target, and resolve any backup plan triggered skills. Tyrants will then resolve their tyrant die, if applicable. The seventh step is the gearlocks react. Don't forget to trigger any gearlock skills if they apply. And finally, for the eighth step, is the end of turn. KOs and party wipes. Getting KO'd during battle is going to happen to you. It's not unusual, especially if you get nasty roll. Do not be discouraged by this. KOs are an inevitable part of being a fearless gearlock. If you are KO'd, which happens when you lose your last health chip, your gearlock chip and any die come off the battle mat immediately and are placed on your gearlock prep area. All slotted active, locked, and backup plan dice are removed from your mat. Loot stays with you but is not usable while you are KO'd. Certain gearlocks have skills that can revive KO'd gearlocks. These skills are specifically defined on those gearlocks reference sheets. If your entire party runs into bad luck and all gearlocks are KO'd, the battle immediately ends, but the adventure continues. Skip the reward phase and move directly to the recovery phase for that day. Unless you have loot that grants HP, each gearlock will likely have to choose the rest and recover as their individual choice option during this phase. The battle results. If you have a successful battle, remove all dice from each gearlock's active slots and backup plan. Dice in locked slots may remain. Place all exhausted skill dice back into their skill slots. 
remove any remaining buff HP from the prep area. Place all party members with their remaining HP back on their own gearlock prep area and move to the rewards phase. If the battle was unsuccessful, remove all dice from each gearlock's active slots, locked slots and backup plan. Place all exhausted skill dice back into their skill slots. Remove any remaining buff HP from your prep area. Place KO'd party members on their gearlock prep area, if not there already. Then, place any undefeated baddies face down on the bottom of their appropriate active stacks and move directly into the recovery phase. Now that you understand the basics of battle in Too Many Bones, we can't forget to talk about the best part, the spoils. This section is short, but is packed with lots of final details you won't want to miss. Go ahead and grab a loot card, a trove loot card, and your four lockpicking dice. Also keep your gearlock adventuring reference guide handy. Loot and Trove Loot In order to have a chance at taking down a tyrant, your party will need to find some loot and, if lucky, some Trove Loot along the way. Here are a few details about both. There are two kinds of loot, Loot and Trove Loot. You are limited to 4 loot per gearlock at any time. When exceeded, choose 4 to keep and discard the remaining. Turn a loot card with multiple uses to show it has been used. After fully using loot card, discard it. Unless stated otherwise, outside of battle, loot can be used or discarded at any time. During battle, if not specified otherwise, loot must be used on your turn and not outside of your turn. Trove loot should remain chest side up until fully open through successful lockpicking attempts. Certain loot have dimension heavy. This means that they count as three loots when counting up the number of loots you have. Some loots also have dimension permanent. These mean that you do not discard them when you use them. And some loot have dimension backup plan extensions. This means that they grant additional backup plan skills that you may use bones for. Using this counts as using your backup plan for this turn. Lockpicking The need for lockpicking can come from a random encounter or any trove loot you manage to get your hands on. There are four lockpicking dice used in this process, consisting of one intuition die and three action dice. You can learn more about how these work on the Gearlock Adventure Reference Guide. Each Gearlock will have an opportunity to make one lockpicking attempt per day on any discovered trove loot during the recovery phase. If you manage to solve only the first or second lock during an attempt, those locks remain solved, giving you a head start on your next attempt. Also, your lockpicking attempt can be used on someone else's trove loot instead of your own, if you see that as more beneficial. Here are a few miscellaneous rules which you'll need during your adventure. 
buff HP. When you have a buff HP effect, add a number of HP to a gearlock's prep area. When taking damage, remove from this buff HP first, before removing HP from the unit. Defense dies take effect before removing buff HP. Buff HP is not counted towards baddie targeting choice of strongest and weakest unit, or removed with true damage. You can have multiple buff HP active at a time. The D6 die. Use this specific die for any situation requiring the use of a D6. Damage types. There are two different damage types, which would be regular damage and true damage. For regular damage, an amount of HP is removed from the target when it happens. This can be mitigated by defense dice, thick skin, hardy, etc. For true damage, it is an amount of HP to remove from the target regardless of the defense in play. Only in cases where skills directly affect true damage can this be modified. For example, the L from Picket or Hardy from Tentrum. In Too Many Bones, there is a minigame called Dangerous Darts, which can be a choice for certain encounters. In this minigame, each player and opponent starts with 10 HP. Using only attack dice, defense dice, or status effect dice, which have the poison, weaken, and stun effects, players must choose three dice, but no more than two of any kind. You will roll the same dice each turn. Non-gearlock opponents always choose two attack dice and one status effect die. Once dice are chosen, the game begins, with your opponent rolling their three dice. Gearlocks always go second. Take turns rolling available dice. Apply rolled defense dice to yourself. Deal damage and apply rolled status effect dice to your opponent, which again are poison, weaken, which is the player's choice, or even stun. All these effects will be explained a little later. Bones are used for the dangerous darts backup plan. They must be used the same turn they are rolled, and there's no storing up. Only gearlocks may use this. With one bone, you may remove and apply die from yourself or opponent, which would be either an effect or defense die. With two bones, you can stun your opponent until the start of your next turn. And with three bones, you do an instant knockout, so you win instantly. To win normally, you must remove all of your opponent's HP. The day counter, which is a chip and a card. At the start of each day, rotate this chip by one. This happens regardless of whether your previous encounter was successful or not. You must challenge and defeat the tyrant before the day counter exceeds the tyrant's day limit. The effect dice. There are two different effect dice covering many different effects that can be found in Too Many Bones. These dice are used to help remember when a specific effect is in use or applied to a unit on the battle mat. Place this die on the baddie or gearlock chip 
to show the effect is active. There can be at most one of each effect on any unit. If a second of the same effect would be applied, the new effect replaces the current one. Some texts may refer to negative effects. Those considered negative are poison, weaken, stun, disable, and terrify. The progress points. Progress points represent the party's advancement toward the tyrant. Stack all successfully completed encounters with their progress points showing in a neat row to easily reference how many points your party currently has. Once you earn enough progress points to equal or exceed the number shown on their tyrant, you may choose to face the tyrant instead of drawing an encounter during your next encounter phase. Reviving a gearlock. Any gearlock that has been KO'd may be revived with a skill. When a gearlock is revived, set its HP to the number shown on the skill and it rejoins the battle after the end of the current round. Remember, anytime a gearlock enters the battle mat after round 1, it will assume a starting gearlock position and be placed at the top of the any meter. The training points. A party training point is earned through the successful completion of encounters. When a training point is earned, each gearlock gains a training point that can be used toward a training attempt of one of their skills or stats. Training HP, Dex, or a skill will always succeed. However, training an attack or defense requires a successful attempt in order to increase the stat. A failed attempt means you will be forced to train in something else with that training point. The training process is covered in the Gearlock Math section and on the Gearlock Adventure Reference Guide. Easing into too many bones. Invading the Ebon is no easy task. In fact, some Gearlocks may struggle finding success even on day 2 of their adventure. Don't be disheartened. Too Many Bones was designed to be quite challenging. When we suggest that the first-time adventurer should ask the guards for help on day 2, we mean it. We also understand that it can take some time to fully grasp the intricacies of Too Many Bones and each Gearlock. Therefore, we have developed three play modes to help you get your feet wet. We suggest that you start your adventure in the first mode until you find yourself being challenged to a degree that is comfortable for you, and then adjust accordingly. Too Many Bones is a game that requires you to learn and adapt. Oftentimes, this learning comes through brutal battles and party KOs. If this is not your style of play or hampers your enjoyment of the game, hang out at the adventure level as long as you like, or feel free to modify it further. Bottom line, make sure you are enjoying the adventure. The first mode is called Adventurer. Use this mode when just starting out and learning the game. In this mode, add 2 to your Gearlock's HP stat before day 1. Also, gain 1 training point before the start of day 1. And finally, if you're KO'd during your adventure, Dice in your locked slots may remain. 
The next mode, which is a little harder, is called Heroic Adventurer. Use this mode when you have a basic understanding of the game. In this mode, add 1 to your Gearlock's HP stat before starting day 1. Also, gain 1 training point before starting day 1. The last mode is the Legendary Adventurer. Use this mode when you are ready for a true challenge. This mode is the ultimate test of strategy and survivability. You have no training points or HP to boost your start. Yikes. This is just too many bones, hardcore. At this point in the rulebook, you'll find a playthrough of the first couple of encounters in the game, which would have peaceful and battle encounters. We will not be covering it here as it heavily relies on visuals, but we invite you to go straight in the rulebook to follow it through. Getting technical. This game has a lot of details. Sometimes saying things in just a little different way makes all of the difference. We've searched the forums and our direct emails for some of the more common questions and answers people have submitted. Some of the answers come directly from other Too Many Bones owner, who did an excellent job of clarifying things in a way that seemed to resonate with people. So thanks everyone. Attack and Defense Dice in Backup Plan Do the attack and defense dice in my backup plan count against my attack and defense stat? Well, the answer is no. Attack and defense dice in your backup plan do not count against your attack and defense stat. Backup plan extensions. How does a backup plan extension work, which can be found on certain trove loot? A backup plan extension is an item that gives you more backup plan options. Just like your Gearlock's current backup plan skills, there is a bone cost involved when using this new backup plan extension. That cost is listed on the card. Baddie movement and targeting. What happens if a melee baddie targets a gearlock that is completely surrounded? Well, this should never happen. Melee baddies will not target an opposing unit it doesn't have a route to. Meaning, if the closest opposing unit does not have an open adjacent position, then the baddie will target the closest opposing unit that does have an open adjacent position. Poison. How does poison work if I'm hit with it multiple times? Usually, when you're hit with a poison and a number, you would put an effect die with that poison and number on top of your gear lock. Then, at the start of your turn, you would lose a number of HP equal to the number next to your poison, and then you would take down the poison. So if you would have poison 2, you would lose 2 HP at the start of your turn and tick it down to 1 until you hit 0. Like all other effect dice, poison is not cumulative. Rather, the counter will always be set to the more recent poison effect value being applied. For example, if you have a poison 2 effect die on you, and a baddie with poison 1 targets you with that skill, your poison effect die should be set to 1. The same is true in reverse. Poison 1 can be bumped to poison 2 if that's what came second. As a general rule, 
a unit can only have one of each effect on it at a time. Search for loot. Can a partially used loot, which would be one with multiple charges, be chosen to search for better loot? Yes, as long as the loot or trove loot takes up a spot in your loot area, it can be used to search for better loot. Skill timing. What is the timing of different skills that happen at the beginning of a baddie's turn? For example, a baddie has 1 HP left, and it has recover 1, and it has poison 1. Well, the answer is anything that happens at the same time, for example, at the beginning of a turn effect, happen in the order of the player's choosing. So, you can choose for the poison to hit before the recover does. We will add that the player's choice ruling in such a situation is very intentional and meant to be part of the strategy for taking down your opposition. Molmesh is a great example of a tyrant where this rule can greatly affect the battle's outcome depending on what effects are in play at just the right time. Targeting can I choose a target to roll my attack dice and a different target for my skill die and a different target for my damaging backup plan? Well, the answer is no. If a skill, backup plan, or attack has the word target in the description, then it must be used on the same target. You only get one target per turn, which is declared before you choose which dice are rolled. That being said, if a skill or backup plan does not use the term target, such as Boomer's Frag skill, then that skill or backup plan does not need to be used on the same baddie as your target. You can find more frequently asked questions in the rulebook with their answers, as well as the Chip Theory Games website. The last bit of clarification for the rules has to do with units. In Too Many Bones, a unit refers to any playable chip in the game. It does not include lane markers, day counter, or health chips. All units fall under two categories, party and baddies. These two categories, in relation to one another, are referred to as opposing units. Included in the baddies category are all 1-point, 5-point, and 20-point baddies, as well as all tyrants. The party falls under two categories, which are the gearlocks and their allies. The gearlocks category contains only gearlocks, yours and all of the other players. The allies category also includes all other gearlocks, as well as temporary allies and companions. And that is it for chapter 18 of the Book of Rulebooks, Too Many Bones, a game designed by Josh Carlson and Adam Carlson and published by Chip Theory Games. My name was Mathieu Labrosse and thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in chapter 19 where we'll cover the game Photosynthesis. <laughs>